Amen. All right, so we've been in the Psalms, right? We've been going through books of the Bible here. If you need a Bible, raise your hand high. We'll pass some Bibles out to you. We'll also have the words on the screen, but we like to give you a physical copy of the Bible so that you know that what we're reading up here is actually in the Bible. And so be sure to grab those. And so we do series here, and our series are based on books of the Bible usually. It's usually just going through books of the Bible, and the reason we do that is so that me and Vince don't just preach all our favorite topics, which kind of be, can, tends to be, I think, our human tendency. And so we get to see what is God speaking to us through his word. And so we've been in the Psalms, and I think they've been so good for, for my heart, for our hearts. I think they're showing us specific ways we can have a more intimate relationship with God. And so today, though, I want to start with a story. And just a warning, the story is not kid-friendly. But, but we have to tell, we have to talk about it. And so if, you, if there's some things you might not want your kids to hear, um, you might want to step in the back or, you know, go like this in front of their face the whole time to plug your ears. And so we're going to start with a story. And the story is about this king. And there's this king, he's a pretty good king, and he's at his palace one day, and it's springtime, and he goes out on his roof. I don't know why he doesn't have a patio, but he goes out, and he's hanging out on his roof, and he's looking over his kingdom, and he just sees his kingdom, and, and it's good. And, and, then, and then he does something that is not very good. Nearby, there's a neighbor, and she, she's in her backyard, and she's naked. And he, now a good king would, would look away, and, and, but he, he keeps looking. And he, he checks her out, and he goes back in his house, and he, mind you, he's also married, and so this is kind of getting worse and worse the more you find out about him. And he's in his palace, and he tells his servants, hey, I saw this naked woman, could you bring her to my chambers? Like, he really says it like that. And so they, they the servants go, and they, you don't deny a request from the king, so the woman comes, this time she's clothed, and she arrives in the king's palace and in his room, and, and he, I think he just like coerces her into having sex with him. And so they have sex, and then she leaves. So now the king, he has checked out this lady for a little bit longer than he should. He brought this lady over. He commits adultery because he's married. And then we find out actually that this woman, she's married to another man. So she's married as well. And so it's just becoming sin upon sin. But he's the king, so no one's going to tell the king's secrets. And so about a month later, the, the woman sends a message to the king, and it just says, hey, I'm pregnant, it's yours. And, and the king knew that this was true because her husband was actually a virtuous man, and he was off fighting a, a war, a battle for the king. And so this, this virtuous man is off fighting this battle, and the king, meanwhile, impregnates this virtuous man's wife. And so the king, in that moment, he could come clean, he could make it right, but he has this flinch of shame about all the sin that he's committed. So instead of trying to fix it the right way, or trying to own up to his sin, he decides that he, he, he devises a plan. And so he sends a messenger over to the army, says, bring over this virtuous man. Bring this virtuous man back here to, to where we are and, and, and let him hang out with his wife for a little bit one night and see what happens. 
And so the virtuous man, he comes home, he comes to the palace, and he, you know, the king said, oh, I have this message for you, and, and, and they talk, and then, and then the king said, all right, go home, be with your wife, do your thing. And then the king goes to bed, and he's starting to feel this weight of shame just lifted off his shoulders, because he's getting away with this terrible sin. And the king wakes up, the next morning he goes out, he's on his front patio, and he trips over somebody. And he looks down, and it's actually this virtuous man. He's sleeping. He's asleep. And the king says, what are you doing here? Why, why, why are you here? And the virtuous man just looks up at him, and the king says, no, why are you here? Why aren't you back home with your wife? You're here for a night. Before you have to go back to war, why don't you just go be with your wife? And the virtuous man says, listen, like, there are so many men out fighting battles right now, and I was just with them, and it, they can't come home to their wives and be with their wives for a time. So why should I be able to? The king is just like, why are you so virtuous? Like, the king just can't understand this about this guy. He's like, just go home and, and, and get with your wife. And, and so the king goes in, back into his palace. He kind of buys another plan, and, it, and he tells this virtuous man, he says, hey, I have a, a, another message, a, a different message I need to send you. And, uh, and I think, so the king, his new plan, he says, let's, let's get crunk, right? He's like, it's time to party. And so him and this virtuous man, they party all day through the night. And this virtuous man gets really drunk because the king just keeps going, shot, 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 right? And the song was out. And so, uh, and so the man gets so drunk that the king says, okay, go home. Be with your wife. Just stay with her. And uh, the virtuous man goes outside, the king goes inside, and again, the shame lifts off his shoulders. And then the next morning, he walks up, and he trips over this man. He actually slips on some throw-up because of how drunk this guy was. The guy actually just slept in front of the king's palace again because he's so virtuous for the same reason. He's like, I can't go be with my wife if men I'm fighting with can. And so the king comes up with another plan. This one is just evil. He decides to give a message to this virtuous man to send back to the army, to send back to the general. And the message just simply says this, you take the virtuous man and some of your men, go to the forefront of the battle, and then have the rest of the men pull back and leave the virtuous man in front. And so the virtuous man is there, and they go and they battle, and then his men pull back. What's more is actually as the men are pulling back, some of these men die. And of course the virtuous man is left fighting this battle by himself, and so he, he dies, he's killed. And the king gets the message back that, that this man has died, and he feels great. He feels great. He's hidden this sin. He's hidden this series of sin he's done. He doesn't even feel bad about killing this man. And he even brings this wife, his, the virtuous man's wife home to be another one of his wives. Well, God actually cares about this king. And so God actually sends a messenger to talk to this king. And this messenger is a prophet. And so the prophet comes to the king, and he says, King, I've got a story for you. Just listen. And the king says, okay, tell me the story. And, and we're kind of inceptioning now, the story within the story. And so the, this prophet says, listen, there was this rich man who had a lot of sheep, and there was this poor man who had one sheep, right? And this one lamb was just legit. It was his favorite lamb. It was the only lamb he had. He kept it with his family. They fed it. They gave it a name. It was fluffy. They loved this little lamb. They loved it deeply, right? And 
And the virtuous man, one, or I mean, I'm sorry, the, one day the rich man had a traveler come to his house. And he wanted to feed the traveler. But instead, take from one of his own many sheep, he takes from this poor man's one little lamb, he takes it, he kills it, he feeds the traveler. And meanwhile, as the king is hearing this story, he's just beginning to boil with rage. He's like, this is wrong. And he shouts out. And he says, what is going on here? We will get this guy and he's going to pay back the poor man four times as much. And the prophet just says, it's you. You're the guy that did this. And just in a moment, all this sin, all this way of sin, all that he had done had come crashing down with conviction on this king. And he knew that he was just like the rich man in that story. And, and if you've been in the church a while, you know that this story is about King David, right? This is about King David in the Bible. And you'll find this story in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. And maybe it's a long story to tell. But Psalm 51 is a psalm we're in today. And Psalm 51 is all about that King David's confession to this thing. The whole psalm is a confession to, to these series of sins that he did. He wrote it right after this prophet named Nathan comes to him and, and says, look what you've done. And so he writes this psalm. And I, I, I love that we're in this psalm today because I think confessing our sin is so good for our relationship with God. Right? Sin in the church, I think you kind of get a different like a spectrum of what people believe about sin. Right? You get some people that they kind of agonize over their sin. Right? They just day in, day out, they feel like everything is a sin. Right? If you grew up in the church, sometimes you have this tendency. I have this tendency sometimes where just I'll feel too much of the weight of my sin. And then there's the, the other spectrum of, of people that they kind of just believe that the sin is really negative. Jesus is taking care of it. We shouldn't talk about our sin. It's, it, it's too much. We should really just try to avoid talking about it if we can. And I think we as a church, we probably aren't one extreme or the next, but we probably dance between the two. We're probably somewhere in between. And so I love that we're in Psalm 51, because this psalm today can show us how to confess our sin to God, how to bring our sin to God and talk to Him about it. And so I, I love that we're in the psalms too, because the psalms just show us like... just intimate, specific ways to have a relationship with God. Like when you read through the Psalms, you're going to find these different things you can do in your relationship with God, and God wants you to do it. God's okay with it. And so, uh, if you want, you can turn to Psalm 51, because that's where we spend most of our time today. And, and in Psalm 51, if you don't know where that is, it's kind of like the middle of your Bible almost. But Psalm 51 is going to show us five helpful postures for us. Five helpful postures in regards to how we confess our sin, how we think of sin, and how we really just look at sin. And so there's going to be five helpful postures today. And we're just going to get it right into it. So the first posture is with our sin, and when we confess it, we need to start with God. Okay, so with our, the first posture we're going to see is that we have to start with God. So let's read this. Verse 1, and uh, the preface to the verse is to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went into, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And so this is verse 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. 
Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Let's stop there. So right here, in the beginning of the psalm, David starts with God. He starts his prayer of confession with God. Right? He, he's asking God for God's mercy. Right? He's asking God to remember his steadfast love. Right? He's asking God, God, can you blot out my transgressions? Can you clean me, essentially? He starts with God. And this should be our posture, posture when we confess our sin. This, we, we need to start this way because I think a lot of times, whether we pray this out loud to God or not, or we just think it in our heads, we have some strange postures in regards to our sin, right? Like I, a lot of times, I kind of make a deal with God. I, I truly do that. I, I'll say, God, okay, like I will stop doing this sin and this sin and this sin and this sin. Please just reign in my life. And I just make this deal where, like, if God, you do this, I'll do this, or I'll stop doing this. And then I think another thing that we tend to do is we convince ourselves that that our sin isn't that bad, or that we have some excuses for our sin, or we just did our sin because of this thing going on in our life, or, or we look at other people and we're like, well, I did this, but this person over here, they are, I mean, look at King David, God, like, he's crazy. And so I think we, we have that posture where we just kind of barter with God and, and try to prove ourselves to God, but we see that David, the first posture he takes is he starts with God. He doesn't start with himself. He doesn't start with who he is or what he can do. He starts with what, who God is and what he can do. And so I think when we pray and we start to confess our sin and talk to God about our sin, I think the very first thing we need to do is start with God. Thank God that he's a merciful God. Thank God that he has steadfast love for you. Thank God that he's the God that, that blots out your transgressions. And so I think we need to do this. And even Jesus didn't sin, but even Jesus started his prayers, or when he showed us how we should pray, he started with our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's King James style. I'm sorry, that's how I learned it. And, and it's just saying, God, in heaven, may your name be holy, essentially. Right? And so I think when, even when we start our prayers of confession, we can start this way as well. And this next, these next few verses, we're going to see the next posture that David takes. And the posture is simply this. He owns up to his sin. David takes some time, and he owns up to his sin. And I think we need to do that too. Let's read. Let's start in verse 3. David says this. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And so David just gets right into the heart of his confession of sin. He's like, my sin is ever before me. Just as Nathan had spoke to him, the prophet speaks to the king, he just sees all the sin that he's committed. He just sees all the mess that he's made of his life. And then I think he notes two things about sin in his owning up to it that I think we, we could own up to. He says this interesting thing where he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Which is, which is interesting because you, you, when we sin, sometimes we, 
we've hurt people around us. And actually, the Bible even says, like, sometimes you sin against others, or sometimes you sin against yourself. Like, those are realities in the Bible. So David's not saying that's not true. But what David is saying is, when I sin, ultimately, it's against you, God. At the end of the day, it's against you. If no one's around, I would still sin against you, God, unfortunately. Because when we sin, what we're doing is we're, we're just not trusting God. We're, we're actually saying, God, this, this way of life you have for me, this way of, of relationship with you you have for me, I don't care. I want to be in control. And often when we sin, what we do is we look at God on his throne, and we push him off the throne, we sit in the throne, and we make the decisions, and we make ourselves God, even though we're not God. Right? Even though we're not God. If you've ever had, like, I, I used to be a teacher for a while. Anytime a student just rose up against me and tried to be, like, the authority of the classroom were, like, the worst moments because I just wanted to destroy those kids. And, and so, because they were sinning, mightily. And, uh, and, but we do that so much worse to God. We do that so much worse to God. And David did it too, right? David became this mini-God, right? He became this mini-God where he saw Bathsheba, and as soon as he saw this woman Bathsheba naked, he said, I got to get with her, right? I got to be in control. I'm God of this world. I'm God of this place. I'm going to run the show. And he became this destructive mini-God. And I think every time we sin, we become these destructive Many gods, whether we're hurting other people, whether we're hurting ourselves, we're hurting the world around us, I think that happens. And so we need to realize that that's true for us, too, when we sin. We sin against God, ultimately. David also realizes this truth when he says, I was born in iniquity, right? And he's talking about, you know, in sin that he was born from his mom, Right? And, it, and it's confusing, because you, you say, are, is, is, did David's mom have an affair or something? But that's not really what's going on. What's going on is he's speaking to this truth that we see throughout the Bible. You see it in Romans 5 especially. Where this truth that Adam, when he sinned, and when Eve sinned, they passed sin on to us. It's a part of us. That's sad. That's, that's, that's hard to hear, but we need to hear it. Sin is, we're born broken. We're born sinful. That's how helpless we are. That's why it's good for us to see that about ourselves. Because if we don't see how helpless we are, we won't think we need a Savior. And so we need to see that about ourselves. In our world today, that's just not believed. People don't believe kids are broken when they're born. Babies are already broken from the get-go. And that's just not true. You can see it. You can see it, one, in God's Word, but you can also see it in reality. I remember... At Finley's, I'm going to tell a story about Finley like Vince does every week. Um, I remember uh, at Finley's first birthday party, my daughter was there. She's a couple months older than Finley. She's still smaller than him, I'm pretty sure. And she's, she's sitting there playing with Finley, who I think she's a little bit in love with. And uh, I know, hopefully they get married. Um, and they're sitting there, and my daughter Amelie grabs this toy hammer, and she just wrecks Finley with it. Like, I don't think it was just one hit. It was like, you're going to die, Finley. Like, this is, I love you, but no one can have you. Like I, like, I don't know what it was. She just wrecks him, and there was glee in her face, and she was happy. She wasn't just seeing cause and effect. She wanted to hurt him, it seemed like. And I was like, what do I need to do right now? And, uh, and so, you know, I take Amelie and just, you know, spray her with the hose outside or whatever, and she... And I just realized that from, a, like, from an early age, we're born broken. 
right? No one taught Amelie to take a hammer to Finley's head, right? Like, when she sees me with Finley, I'm not just, like, wrecking Finley with a toy hammer, right? Is that too dark? Um, but, but we're born broken. We're born selfish. We're born even wanting to hurt the world in some ways. And so that image of God on us, all those, it brings a lot of good things. We're born broken. And it's good for us to realize this. It's good for us to own up to this. Because then we'll see how much we really need God. We're so sinful, we're so broken, that we're born that way. It's not just because your dad yelled at you, so you yell at people, although that doesn't help and it probably contributes. You're sinful because you're born human, because Adam passed this on to you and to me. And if we realize that, if we own up to that, we'll realize how much we need Jesus. And here's what's scary to me, is I've heard it said in this church that we don't need to confess sin. That confessing sin is a little bit too negative. I've heard that said. I've heard it being like, why do we do that? And and it alarms me because even in the New Testament, we see in James 5.16, a command to believers, therefore confess your sins to one another. We see in the letter of 1 John, hey, John just acting like it's crazy for us to think we're not sinners. It would be crazy for us to think that way. And so I just think that we need to realize that this psalm, and especially in verse 6, we'll see right here, shows us that we need to own up to all of our sin and we need to confess it to each other and to God. Verse 6 says this. I love what it says. Behold, David's talking to God, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David doesn't go, behold, you're bummed out. You've got to tell me about my sin. You're freaked out by it. You don't want to talk about it. It's too negative. He goes, no, you delight in me finding that out. You teach me wisdom in my heart. And so we have to realize this posture of owning and confessing our sin and that we're all sinners is really important for us. It's really important for for us. And I'm spending a lot of time on this posture because I don't think that we as the church, the global church, like everyone, I don't think we do this well. I don't think we confess our sins well. And why it saddens me is because some of the people that confess their sin the best have some of the most vibrant relationships with God I've ever seen. Me, Vince, and Nate, our old worship director, we used to get together and we'd do this thing called Preaching Collective where we look at uh, the text we're going to preach and talk about. And all the time, me and Vince would read it and it would talk about a sin or something like that. And me and Vince would be like, how do our people do this sin? Like, how can we preach to our people in a good way? And how do they do this? And then Nate, he would sit here and he would go, man, I don't know how our people do it, but here's how I do it. And he wasn't, he wasn't trying to be condescending or, or, or better than us. Like, he truly was just convicted by the Spirit. He was truly convicted by the sin in his heart. And he could, he could almost always see the sin in him. And he has a great relationship with God. And so I think we really need that posture. Church, we need that posture of owning up to our sin. Because it's good for us. It's good for our relationship. But we can't just stop there. And we see this next posture in the next few verses, starting in 7, where David just asks for renewal and cleansing and restoration. So that's the third posture, that we would ask for renewal, cleansing, and restoration. And so David says this. I'm just going to kind of hit it quick because we still got a lot. It says this, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Right, clean me. Hyssop was this thing they used in the Old Testament to cleanse people from uh, leprosy and, and to cleanse people after they touched a dead body. 
He said, just make me whiter than snow. Verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. He, he feels the weight of his sin and he wants to hear joy again. He, God didn't literally break David's bones, but he feels so broken that that's the, poet, the poetic speak he uses. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And he's just, again, God... Forget my sins. God, cleanse me. God, restore me. Make my heart clean. Put a right spirit in me. Please don't take the Holy Spirit from me. And there's some different thoughts on this. And I want to say this right now. Right now, in your new covenant with Christ, the Holy Spirit is never going to leave you. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that. But in the Old Testament, our covenant, our relationship, the promise God made with his people was a little bit different. And so I don't know if the Holy Spirit left the people or not. There's some debate on that. But seemingly throughout the Old Testament, it kind of seems like God gives the Holy Spirit as he wills. But now he gives it to anyone that professes faith. And so David, again, restore me. And he says in verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. We gotta, so when we confess our sin, we can't just leave it there. Or we're going to be in a lot of pain and misery. We gotta bring it to this posture and we gotta say, God, restore me. Make my heart good. Make it clean. Help me remember the joy of my salvation. How many of you, I, I just am curious, how many, raise your hands, how many of you remember when you got saved? When you became a Christian? That was an excuse against you, Dwyer. Um, you put your hands down. A lot of you. And when you, a lot of times when people first become a Christian, they're just going nuts, right? They're just telling all their friends about Jesus. They're running across the street to tell people about Jesus. And they're, they're, they're just so happy that they're saved. And they're so, they have so much joy. And then as you kind of are walking faith longer, you, you kind of go, you kind of ease back on that. Now, I want to contend that, that a lot of us think that when we ease back, that's us maturing in our faith. But I want to contend that it's not us maturing. It's us forgetting the joy of our salvation. It's, us not, it's not us not confessing our sin, owning our sin, and then asking God for restoration to remind us of the joy of our salvation. I think if we were reminded of the joy of our salvation day in, day out, it would be incredible the kind of relationship we'd have with God. Not always, obviously, but I think it would really strengthen our relationship with God. Like, we're so bad at being saved, we need God to remind us we're saved. Isn't that crazy? Like that, and that's, I'm okay with that. We're so bad at being saved, we need God to go, hey man, I saved you, I saved you, I've made you clean, I've restored you. So we need the joy of our salvation as much as you did all those years ago. You need it as much today as you did all those years ago. And I think if we do these things, we'll, we'll continue to have a more and more vibrant relationship with God. Next, we're going to see the fourth posture that David takes, and, and it's asking God to change his outward actions kind of like a restoring of his outward action. So we see this in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. And so David he realizes that, that God can restore our hearts, but he also needs God to restore his outward actions. Right? David was a singer and a harpist and, and, and loved praising God, but even he had to say to God, God, open my lips. 
that opened my lips. If I, if I can just taste your salvation, I can even tell the sinners about it. If I can taste it, I can sing about it again. Help me, God. Help me. So we need to ask for God to actually change even our external actions when we sin. Not just our hearts, but even say, God, change what I do on the outside. Change how I sin on the outside. And I love these next two verses. They're not a posture, but they're kind of in the midst of this. And, and why I love it is it shows us that God is the same yesterday, today, forever. And, and we see this in verse 16. It says this, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And this is confusing because in the midst of this time was when God wanted the people of Israel to, to do sacrifices all the time. And so these people of Israel do these sacrifices. And it's confusing that David says that that's not what's going to please you. And because there's this truth about God that's always existed is that there's nothing that you can do that's going to save you. There's nothing that you can do that's going to save you. You can, you can do these sacrifices. There's a, there's a different purpose for these sacrifices back then than what they realized. And David knew that. He realized that the sacrifices were going to point to something else, point to a better sacrifice. And so we, we need to realize that God is the same God. Now our covenant, like the Old Testament is, is sometimes called the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant is different now. The promise is better for us now. But these truths about God are the same throughout the whole Bible. So I love that. And then we finally see in the last two verses, we just see the last posture. It's a posture that says, let all of God's people realize these same things, essentially. And it's kind of like a corporate song of praise. And so verse 18, it says, do good to Zion, that's Israel, in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. The bull, that, oh, I'm sorry guys, then bulls will be offered on your altar. And so he says, man, God, if you do good to Zion, if you could do good to Jerusalem, and I think the good he's talking about is not just blessing them, but this good that he's been begging God for this whole sermon, right? This restore the joy of my salvation, restore me, wash me, do all these things. And a lot of people think on these last two verses that, that uh, they kind of sang together was more corporate than the rest of the verses. And so it's a posture, this last posture is a posture that says, let God's people realize these same things. And I think it would be good for us when we confess sin to say, God, help us all to remember the gospel. Help us all to, to, to confess to you. You know, all the time, it's funny because, like, all the time when I pray and I'm confessing my own sin or, or praying through the Lord's Prayer on my own, I begin to pray for Vince and I begin to pray for Randy. I begin to pray for other people in our church because I just think that the Holy Spirit's moving in me to remind me that, that we're, all, we're all in this <laughs> battle with sin that only Jesus can conquer. And that, that we need as much prayer as we can get. And so I think we should should sing this along with David. So those are, the, those are the five postures, five different postures about sin. And start with God. And then own your sin. Then ask for restoration. And then even pray for that for the people. That was four, but ask for restoration is kind of the two middle postures. And so I think we need to do this. And I think sometimes we hear sermons like this and we're just like, man, this guy is really heavy on sin. 
this is, this is really too intense for me. But, but stay with me, because there's a glimmer of the gospel in Psalm 51. And it's this. It's that in this psalm, we see David just yearning for restoration. We see David just asking God, please save me. And then what's more is he says, God, this, the sacrifices I make are not enough. What matters more is what's going on in my heart. What matters more is what's going on in my heart, God, but I just, I feel like it's not right. It's not good enough for you. And so he's sitting there and he's saying all these things and he's asking for restoration. And meanwhile, him and Bathsheba, months later, they have another child. And this child is named Solomon. And Solomon, if you, if you don't know, he's Jesus' great, 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 great grandfather times however many. And so as David is sitting here saying, God, restore me, restore me for my sin, help your people to know that you're good and see your goodness, God, through this messy, evil relationship that started because of David, he brings about the line of Jesus. He brings about the line of Jesus because God says, okay, I'll restore you so much that Jesus, my son, is going to be in your lineage. And then what's more, David's crying out, and he's saying, God, these sacrifices aren't good enough. And then, she, and then God says, listen, I'm going to bring Jesus through your lineage, and he's going to be the sacrifice that's good enough. He's going to be the one that's going to die the death for your sins. He's going to be the one that you can put faith in and trust and believe and follow and love. And so Psalm 51 is a glimmer of the gospel. It reminds us that, that God will restore the, the most sinful of us. That God in this story brought Jesus about through some of the most sinful things going on ever. So we can hope in Christ. We can trust that Christ has lived perfectly for us. We can trust he's taken the punishment. That he lives today and we can share in life with him and have a relationship with him. And so what does that mean for us? I think it means your sin's not too big for God. You don't have to live in the shame of your sin. But also it means this. You're not too big for God, right? You are not good enough. Like, that, that's something you need to hear. You can't get to God on your own. You need the mediator that's Christ. You need Jesus. You need to call on Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to get to God. So you don't have to live in the shame because God is bigger than your sin and he defeats it. But you also don't have to live in the idea that you are bigger than God, that you can get to God somehow on your own. You can't. No matter who you are, if you're a part of a different religion, if you're part of no religion, you can't get to God on your own. You need Jesus. What a dichotomy that we have this God that doesn't want us to think we're too good, but even in the midst of our sin, doesn't want us to live in shame. What a dichotomy. And so I think Psalm 51 just shows us that Christ is who we need. It shows us how to confess, but our confession should always show us how much we need Christ should always show, show us how much we need to cling to Jesus. And so quick application here for you guys. Go and do this. Go and confess your sin. Go out and say, Jesus, I've done this. Confess specific sins you've done. Because I think sometimes I ask people, hey, what, what, have you, what have you been struggling with? And people just have no idea. You, I think as your relationship matures with God, you'll have a better idea. And it might feel heavier at times, but it's just the Holy Spirit maturing your heart to see how sinful you really are. You're not becoming more sinful. God's just showing you how sinful your heart really is. And then you need to turn to Jesus. And so go out. Like, and confess your sin. Confess th that you have marital strife right now. Confess that you've thought about getting a divorce. 
Confess that you are sleeping around. Confess that you're partying too much. Confess whatever it may be that you're sinning. Specifically confess to God and confess it to others. That's the application point. And the reason we can confess is because God has been so good to us that we don't have to be afraid and we don't have to live in shame. Amen? Let's be a people that confess. Let's pray. God, thank you for Psalm 51. Thank you that, I, I just, God, I thank you that it just shows us such an intimate relationship with you. I think, God, we make up all these ideas for how we think our relationship should go with you, and I think we forget that the Psalms just show us some great ways our relationship can go with you. And so, God, help us to be a people that confess. Help us to be a people that own up to our sin. God, don't let us sit in that. Help us move to that next step and realize that you are the one that restores. That you're the only one that could restore us, cleanse us, and blot out our transgressions. And so God, help us with that. We need your help. Holy Spirit, it, it says in your word that, that you convict the world of its sins, so God, convict us of our sins. And so God, we, we need you and we love you. Help us to be a church broken by our sins but restored by you. In your holy name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so now we're just going to take a few minutes and we're just going to take a time of reflection and just reflect on this. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you some of your sin and confess it to God. And I even encourage you, you can in this time just quietly with your neighbor. If you want to confess your sin, go for it. Like that's, that's a rhythm of God's people. And then Vince is going to come back up in a few minutes and lead us through a time of response.